Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, it's learning to push yourself. It's learning mentally how to hurt yourself because to run a fast 5K and jog a 5K is very different. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to the show, your weekly dose of running motivation. That's what we are all about. If you are new here and you've stumbled across us on your mobile app, you've just had a little listen, a little play around, thinking, well, what, I need something new to listen to to motivate me. Stop right there. Do not hit cancel, stop, pause, or whatever button it is on your phone. This is the place for you. All about running, all about motivation, all about fun. And a little bit of fear as well. I won't I won't lie to you. A little bit of fear. And I'll tell you why. A little bit of fear dropped into my inbox yesterday because I received an email from the Manchester Marathon saying, we have five months to go. Which means if you're doing the London Marathon, you have slightly less than five months to go. So a little bit more fear you should be feeling right now. And excitement, of course. But this is great news. I'm, I'm, I'm charged. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm up for it. Come on, man. Let's do it. Pete, there's still time for you to register, my friend, if you do fancy breaking into the marathon world. If you listen to this show for any amount of time, you'll know that I'm a non-running guy who has, strangely enough, started running, um, but I'm very much limited to 5Ks, mate. I don't mind telling you. I'm going to do a park run this year, which is um, which is a first for me, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, but you can, you know, you can hang on to those marathons, you can talk about them, I'll talk about them, but, hell, I'm not even going to watch one. No way. But I just, I'm going to stop you there, Pete, because interestingly, today's guest, who is super inspiring, by the way, loved chatting with her on the phone when we recorded the call. Could have spoke for hours. And it is Laura Waitman, double Olympian, European and Commonwealth medalist. And you called me yesterday, didn't you? Yeah. You <laughs> called me to say... No, I'm going to explain this, but you called me to say that you were just... Mate, 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 I'm just, uh, I'm just editing the call with Laura. Brilliant, by the way. Love it. She's a great guest. Can't wait to play on the show. Um, it got me thinking about my running. And, you, you know, you guys are talking about plateaus and how to break through them. And I just I just wondered, I just, I just... I don't know if you've got a second, it's not too much trouble. Could I pick your brains? Now, first of all, you are somebody that doesn't generally ask for help you give help and you will help everybody but you're not very good at asking for help you keep your running especially on kind of the down low even though i know that you've run up to eight miles you play this whole non-running guy card but up to eight miles is incredible and you've been inspired by today's guest so you are really starting to think about breaking through plateaus and reaching new heights you can't dispute that i can't dispute that no i was genuinely genuinely inspired by today's guest and uh, and i'm sure you will be too especially at 5k is your distance uh, and i think it is mine because if i'm honest I, I haven't got time to give to running um and if i can wrap up get it done have a shower in an hour, then that's absolutely fine. It, and, and what I started thinking as I was listening to the interview with Laura is I was thinking, actually, I can give an hour to running every couple of days. That's fine. I'm okay with that. If I could actually, if I could, and this isn't to do with a love of running and it's not to do with self-improvement or anything like that. I'm just thinking, actually, if I could, if I could get the run done and get a shower done in 50 minutes instead of an hour, I'd be even happier. Do you know what I mean? Less time, more time to, I don't know, don't know what to do, but more time to do something else. Well, you joke, or maybe you don't joke, but there is some truth in that, and I think many runners do think along the same lines. You know, if they're out there doing, like, if their run is based on distance, so if they're aiming at running, let's say, I don't know, six miles easy, 
and it starts to rain, it's a bit cold, they've kind of had enough, then they suddenly turn a corner in the face with a crosswind, it's like, actually, well, if I just pick the pace up a bit, I get the six miles done quicker, which is one of the reasons that I really love running uh, for duration, so I do give a lot of my runners time-based sessions because actually it doesn't really matter how fast they run then they've still got to be yeah. running for 60 minutes or whatever it might be so but i do love the way that you're thinking but and, and i'm really i want i want you to know that i'm really happy to help you and i want to put it that put that out there pete just anytime you want any help with running you know i'm there for you but please just make sure you call me on the right phone it's not difficult it's well, not difficult well, it's know, so simple you, it's so simple you say that it is difficult it is difficult actually it's become difficult and I understand why you now have a second phone uh, it's, you've got a, a personal phone now whereas you've always had a work phone so anyone in the performance community will contact you on your work number uh, you'll take calls from that that's, that's, that's been there the whole time and now all you want to do is you want to sometimes just start you love the work but sometimes Sometimes you just go, I've got to wind down, I've got to not think about work, I've not got to think about other people's running, I have to think about my own life, which is absolutely fine and I get that. So you've got a second phone, which is a personal phone, so if someone needs you personally, they can call you on that. And a few people have got the number, I get that. But the issue I've got is, if I'm phoning to speak to you, right, you're a running coach, if I'm phoning to speak to you about my running, for example, what do I do? Do I call the work phone or do I call the personal phone? Because to me, it's a personal question. To you, it might be a work-based question. Although, is it a work-based question? Because I'm not paying you. This is free advice. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it is really difficult. I mean, and it was very thought-provoking yesterday, our chat, because then I thought, I've not really thought this whole thing through. Mm. Um, I know. It, I've got so I've got this second phone, right? I've got this second phone. You keep calling it a burner. It's not a burner. It's a second phone, <laughs> and it's not really. It's not really a personal versus work phone. First of all, I don't like the term work. It's not really work what I do, but it's it's like a when I so I've got my main phone, right? Where just that's what I have with me all the time, and it's like an everything phone. And then I have sure. a let's get away from things phone. I don't know whether you should call that personal or not, but like if I'm going somewhere and I think, oh, I'm just going to take that phone, and you know, not many people have got the number and I haven't, haven't even got any apps on there I've got my fitness pass so I can log I'll, I'll log my running food and I've right. got Sonos music app so I can control the music in the house that's it I don't have any social media so I'm completely like away from that because I've and I sure. think a lot of people can relate to this I was finding myself like just checking the phone all the time and like oh I wonder if my runners have done a session now and it's like Jake you just checked 30 seconds ago mate like just chill out and you know I just walk yeah. past the kitchen t- side and I just like tap the screen and light it up just to see if I've had any messages and it was going Going a bit insane, so that's why I've got the second phone. So, from your point of view, I completely understand why you've got the second phone. However, if I want to speak to you about a list of things, let's say I want to speak to you about um, the podcast, I know that I call you on your work phone, okay? Let's say I want to speak to you about my running, I don't know which phone to call you on. Let's say I want to speak to you about my rash and say that it's cleared up a little bit and the cream has worked. <laughs> that I, I know, I know it's a personal phone, I know it's the personal phone. Everything's fine there, by the way, it's all sorted. The spray worked absolutely perfectly <laughs> that's not even the biggest problem the biggest problem is the fact that this phone that i have is actually my grandma's old phone i was telling her i was going to get a new phone she said look don't 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 i'm due an upgrade i'm due an upgrade jacob right. so i will send you my old phone so i've got this old iphone se which has seen better days it's not pink by the way it's rose gold just so you nice. know but i keep getting texts from brenda still <laughs> and i keep messaging brenda saying this is Jake. This is Shirley's grandson. You need to call my grandmother. This is her number. She no longer has the phone. It's a bit of a nightmare, to be honest with you. But getting Brenda. Brenda on, sounds me. I've got a call. Co- oh. I've got a call coming through now. I'm going to have to go. I've got to take this. I'm sorry. I've got to take it. I'll be back with you. Laura Waitman on the show soon. 
for the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. And now it's time for today's guest who can call me on any phone she likes. It is indeed Laura Waitman, 1500 and 5000 metre runner, double Olympian, European and Commonwealth medalist. Oh, and she's also a running coach. Laura, how are you today? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm well, thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. It is a pleasure. You look very relaxed. Obviously, we're chatting on Zoom. You look pretty chilled out. You've been training today or what's going on? Rest day? Yeah. No, I've trained. I've uh, I've ran and had some physio this morning. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, I'm at home, got an easy afternoon to relax now. So, yeah, I'm quite chilled. You look super chilled. Obviously, hot off the back of your awesome 5K, which I did see. Uh, through the Athletics Weekly website, which was up in Wigan, I believe, wasn't it? The Fast 5K event. That looked pretty windy on that circuit, but you you looked like you smashed it. How was it? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was so windy and it was really cold. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for a winter blowout, see how things are, see where you're at. I think it's, it's not bad conditions to run in. You know, you can't always run a PB. So I think for me, it was nice. Just have a bit of a test out, see where I'm at. And I felt strong. And, you know, it, it, that's good. It's a good platform to go into the summer from. You know, it's really interesting when we speak to people like yourself on the show. We, we kind of speak to all different types of people, experts, physiologists, you know, psychologists, athletes, recreational runners. And it's really interesting to see the similarities between people like yourself, so double Olympian, you know, super experienced in terms of your running and stuff, and the similarities between kind of people running at a much more recreational level. And I think there's a lot of people at the moment, you you know this, you're a coach, but I'm interested to hear what you think. I think there's a lot of people that kind of want to test where they're at, a bit like you did in that Fast 5K. You know, with lockdown and COVID and all that, people don't really know where they are at the moment. It's kind of weird times, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's the beauty of running though. Like everyone is a runner and everyone has a goal and everyone has a target. And I think no matter who you are, it does not matter if you're a club runner, a beginner, couch to 5K runner or a professional athlete. We all have a goal and a target that's appropriate to you. And I think that's the beauty and the excitement of running that you can all achieve something great. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think, yeah, for me coming out of lockdown, coming out of a challenging winter with a few difficulties in my own training, it was good for me to get a benchmark of where I'm at. Exactly like everyone else in the athletes I work with when they first get a race after three, four, five months or more without racing. It's really great to come out and do that and just see where you're at and for your next goals and targets, you can reassess and set a new target, a new challenge to work towards. What do you like with pressure, Laura? Do you still, with your experience, do you put pressure on yourself? Do you have a good relationship with pressure? Because I know a lot of runners tend to do this, you know, pile on the pressure. Yeah, I think for me, I don't necessarily feel pressure from anyone but myself. I put I put the pressure on myself to perform because I know when I've trained really hard. As a runner, as an athlete, you know when you're in shape, you know when you've trained hard. So I put the pressure on myself to perform because I know what I'm capable of and I know what my body can do. And But I use that pressure in a good way because I almost use those nerves and that pressure I feel for good energy because that means I'm ready to race. And when I feel that pressure about performing, that means that I'm ready. And when I'm ready, I know I can do something special. Yeah, you need you need a little bit of that, don't you? A little bit of a bit of an edge, a bit of pressure to to get you to perform as well as you want, which is what you're saying. I, re- I really get that. And and what's interesting as well is when you say it's the pressure not from other people but myself. It's what I expect of myself. I think a lot of people can learn something from that. 
Tell me a little bit about the runners that you helped. I mean, we had a brief chat, didn't we, before we started recording. You, you kind of have a, a fairly broad spectrum of people that you help, officially, unofficially. Obviously, friends want to tap you up for some running advice and a bit of mentoring. Who wouldn't if they were friends of you? Um, what, what do you get involved in in terms of your coaching and stuff? How does that work? Yeah, I really enjoy coaching. I mean, I've been working with PGC1 now for like four or five months. I, but before that, I've been coaching for about five, six years, a range of different athletes from club runners to athletes who run as part of their sport, sport. So I help a young girl who likes modern pentathlon. Um, and yeah, I coach from anyone from beginner runners right the way through to good club level runners. And, and for me, I find it hugely rewarding helping people achieve their goals and for me, it's seeing someone making big progress and big strides. But for me, it's about making sure people just enjoy running because it's the same for me as an elite athlete. You've got to enjoy the running that you do. And you, by doing that, you're going to be able to achieve your goals and your targets. And for me, I, I find it incredibly rewarding and fulfilling helping people along the way. And yeah, coaching something that I really enjoy doing. And as well as that, I really enjoy almost the mentoring side of things for like young, developing, talented athletes who potentially are going to be the future of the sport. I really enjoy that side of things as well, sharing my knowledges and experiences. And I hope that the wealth of knowledge that I've gained, not just from myself, but from other influences in my career, such as my coach, I hope that I can share a little bit of that knowledge with others and, and help them along the way to their goals. I think you've worked with Steve Cram for a lot, many, many years now, I believe. How long have you worked with Steve for? Yeah, I've actually only ever had two coaches in my career, which is actually quite rare in professional sport. I had my club level coach, Mike Bateman, until I was 18 and I've worked with Steve ever since. So Steve's coached me now for 11 years and, you know, both of those coaches have really shaped shaped my career and I would, wouldn't be where I am without either of them. But in particular, my senior career working with Steve, with his wealth of knowledge and experience, I really owe him a lot for what I've achieved my coaching philosophies and the way in which I work with my athletes, I've learned everything I know from Steve. What sort of stuff did you take from Steve? You know that you apply yourself when working with people. Because I imagine when you're working with somebody for as long as you have with Steve, you build that real bond and trust. And I guess he must just know you inside out, which is what, what you need if, if to get the best out of you as a, as a professional athlete. What sort of stuff did you have you learned from Steve that you're applying yourself? Yeah, Steve knows me better than I know myself and he's always right it's really funny like sometimes that. I'll like I'll have a discussion with him and not question what he's given me but we have a discussion about it and I might go off and do that workout and I'll ring him afterwards and I'll say ah I know why you gave me that today I understand and it's that really good coach athlete relationship that we have and yeah taking that into my own own coaching it's you know the the communication that a coach athlete needs that's you know critical to a, a successful relationship and some of the workouts and the way in which he works I've really taken into my coaching, and sort of building up to the main events really planning backwards thinking about that athlete as an individual what do they need to do between now and then to achieve that goal that they have what are the workouts that we need to do what types of what are their strengths and weaknesses how can we improve those and yet some of the workouts that Steve used to do like a classic fartlek for example he always gets me to do a fartlek quite a lot and it, it's a workout that I love. He, he would call it a park session on a Saturday and he would always say to me that was a big part of his success. And yeah, they're really hard, intense workouts and that's something I'm passing on to my other athletes as well. And, you know, it's sharing those work sharing those workouts and how are those appropriate to different levels of athletes and you know similar types of old school club type training almost I think can benefit a lot of athletes not just myself but you know the next those athletes I'm coaching as well at the club level 
Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned kind of like the old school uh, sessions and if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. You know, there's a place for this stuff. It worked then, why wouldn't it work now? Because I think, I don't know what you think, Laura, but there's, I think there's a sense of with technology and social media and everybody wants results quickly, they want to look for the thing that's going to give them the biggest bang for their buck. They want almost the shortcut to stuff, whether that's supplementation or the, the next best shoes. or do you, do you know what I mean? Like the training method is just yeah. going to take them to the next level. But actually, it's just, to a degree, hard work and commitment and consistency in keeping injury at bay, isn't it? Yeah, there's no shortcuts. And Steve always said to me, you've got to get the basics right before you add in the fluff. And the fluff might be supplements. It might be footwear. It might be additional strength and conditioning. And if you get the basics right, which is the running, if you get some good quality running in your legs and workouts, but you've got to do that over time. Like you said, there is no shortcut. You really have to build that over time and work on you as an individual. Not one size doesn't fit all. And I have to see all my athletes as individuals and work out what routine works for them a seven day week doesn't work for everyone you can't do a classic track Tuesday workout Thursday, workout Saturday it's really what's appropriate to them as a person, build them up have little goals along the way monitor that progress and you really have to do take your time because as a runner, especially an endurance athlete it doesn't happen overnight I'm now 29 and it's taken me 10 years to move to the 5000 metres but run a 5000 metres of world class level it's taken a long time I couldn't have done that as a 21-year-old. I might have had the underlying physiology. I wouldn't have necessarily said I was the most talented person, but a lot of my other attributes have allowed me to get to this point where I am now. And I'm still at that age and still at that stage of my career where I still am progressing. And I apply those same theories to the athletes I work with. And that's a lot of the things that me and Steve have discussed and worked on over the years and how you do that progression. It's not just drive, is it? And genetics, it's as you say, it's that time just layering on training cycle after training cycle i love that i've written that word down fluff i'm gonna pinch that yeah is that right i think that's great because you're dead right people do focus a little bit on on the fluff and that that really should come a little bit later you know it's getting absolutely getting the basics right isn't it really get the basics right find a routine that works for you and have some good consistent training and if you consistently train i believe for you a general runner, a club runner of that kind of level who wants to improve their 5 and 10k times up to half marathon, if you can run consistently four to five days a week, hit a long run, hit a good interval workout of some description, some form of effort, you're going to improve because that's just a bit of natural good consistency and good general running conditioning. Yeah, consistency is so key. I said to you before we started recording this, didn't I? I said, look, I I, want to ask you a little bit about 5K training and racing because that's one thing you know a fair bit about, let's be honest. And um, I also said to you that our shows just go off on tangents sometimes because that's the way it goes. And I'm going to pick up on something you mentioned, which is training cycle and sort of that seven-day split. You know, not everybody can do the classic track work on a Tuesday and a tempo run on a Thursday, long run Sunday. And I guess that's from a diary perspective, so lifestyle, you know, what they've got on, but also what they can tolerate in terms of training load and volume and stuff Absolutely. like that. What's, what's your thoughts on, because I think people listen to this, might it might provoke their thinking a little bit, rather than this, oh, I've got to do this seven-day plan. You haven't, if your lifestyle allows, it could be an eight or a nine-day cycle if that works better for you and you've got a little bit more rest. What's your thoughts on that and how it can benefit different people? 
I think it's all relative to the person. So some of the athletes I work with, I try and have some consistency. For example, we might only do two workouts a week because that is appropriate to them and the work-life balance. We might do a workout on a Monday or Tuesday, then a Thursday, uh, for example, longer on Sunday. But for some people I work with, their work schedule changes. So we have to rotate their rest days depending on their work schedule. I try and keep to some organized structure in terms of the volume, intensity and how many times a week we run. But I'm very mindful that life happens. And I always say to all my athletes, let me know if you have something on in that week that means you can't train that day. Because I'd much rather be flexible because for me, it's really important that we have work-life balance and your running should never become a chore. It should be your release from life and work stresses. It should be something you enjoy. So at that level, I think it's really important that we're flexible and that's where communication comes in. And that's where it's really important that I see every athlete as an individual. And I make sure I regularly have that communication to say, right, what's happening, what suits you? And that works really well. For me as an elite professional athlete, I do like some consistency within the weeks in terms of certain days we might do workouts because other days I have my strength and conditioning. I have my long run, other miles to get in. However, we don't stick to always Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday workouts. Some weeks we rotate it. But as a general rule, my weeks are quite similar but it doesn't always mean that a Tuesday is a track, Saturday is a road, Thursday is a tempo. Some weeks I might do Tuesday, Thursday track, Saturday road, Tuesday, Saturday track. It, it depends on that current block of training I'm in. Steve will always work backwards from the main event. So if I'm racing, he'll think, right, in this next four to eight week block, what do I want to hit? Right, he'll have a list of key workouts to hit and then we, we plan it all around that. So that's the way we work. And I apply some of those principles to the athletes I work with, but again, appropriate to work-life balance because I think that is really important at that stage. Yeah, so like you said, life happens. I mean, it does. Yeah, and exactly. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could just pick the weather every time we went out and ran and conditions on race day yeah. and, you know, stress levels and mind management. But it doesn't work like that, does it, at all? It's the highs and lows of life, bumps in ro- bumps in the road, as exactly, I always call yeah. them. You kind of navigate that. Steve's obviously great at helping you navigate and you are great at helping the runners that you help navigate those bumps. So I think that's really important. You mentioned a couple of things. You touched on strength and conditioning there, which I want to ask you about. I see a lot of the stuff that you post on your Instagram mm. account, which is great. It's great that you share so much inspiring stuff on there so you're doing a lot of that and you mentioned earlier about uh the injury or there was an issue wasn't there before kind of back end of of winter i believe back end of the year before you know which is why i think the fast 5k was so great for you was that almost like a bit of a comeback were you did you suffer with with an injury at the back end of the year what what was going off there yeah i hurt my calf back in november and sadly, it was a, it was one of those injuries where it required some time off my feet. So through November and December, I wasn't able to run as much as I would like. And I had to, you know, take a step back and really focus on the rehab and fix the issue within my calf. Um, so, yeah, that was a really difficult time not being able to run. I think for any runner, when you can't run because of an injury, it's really challenging. But, you know, we really use that time to work on other areas. And, yeah, I got back on my feet in January and got, you know, had a really good few months of work. So going into that fast 5K, it was right. What is an appropriate goal and target for me where I'm at at this stage of the year in Olympic year? So I think, you know, for me, it was like, right, come out of that block, run that race. And that, that's why that was a really great race for me after the work that I put in to get back to that point. But yeah, like any runner, having a bit of time off your feet through an injury, it's really challenging. And and I mean, how do you deal with it? We, we spoke about the similarities between 
athletes at your level, top of the game, and recreational level, you know, people that don't have your level of ability and doing it more for, for, for fun, as it were, what... How do you process it? Is there, is there kind of like some structure that you've got or strategy or coping mechanisms? Because it must be frustrating like it is for everybody. It, it's exactly the same as it is for everyone. Like I love to run. I'm not one of these runners who run because they might be good at it. I actually run because I love it. And for me, going for a run, seeing my friends going for a run, having a chat, for me, I feel good by doing that. And I also feel good for doing really hard workouts and pushing my body to the absolute limit. And for me, there's no greater feeling than stumbling home after a really hard track workout, knowing that you couldn't have given any more and you're really tired. And it's for me, it's that feel good feeling. And when you can't do that, it's really challenging. But for me, when I know what the injury is and I have a plan and I have a time frame, I focus on that. I can't worry about, well, why has this happened? Because it's happened. You have to deal with it. And for me, it's working with my physio and a doctor to figure out what happened. And then from there, you make a plan. And from there, I just literally take it day by day, tick off what I can control that day, which is doing the rehab, maybe going in the pool or going on the bike to maintain that fitness. And slowly but surely, you have ticked off that rehab program and you're ready to run again. And I think as a runner, we're all guilty of, of looking too far ahead or looking back and thinking, well, I used to be able to do this. Why can't I do this? And I really learned you've got to be in the here and now and have small goals for that week, not too far ahead, and really focus on what you can do to fix that current injury to get yourself back on your feet. And I think it's super important that when you are getting back on your feet and it doesn't feel quite right because you're a little bit unfit and you've got to build back, look back and think, well, a month ago I couldn't run, but today I can run. And it's having that, always having that perspective, always having that plan and listening to your body is so important. Fantastic takeaways, Lauren. I think people listen to this. If you listen to this and you're perhaps injured or coming back out of injury, so a few things that leap out from what you've just said. Having a plan is really important. It yeah. gives you confidence as well, doesn't it? Because you, you've exactly, got a plan. Yeah. We all like to know where we're going and what we're doing, and, and that's good. You feel like you're making progress. So having a plan is really important. Focus on what you can control doing your rehab stuff like you do, Laura. You know, all those things that might not be the most exciting and it might not bring you as much joy as banking the miles out there with your friends, but actually it's the things that you can control and being grateful for the fact that actually you are able to do some running and not comparing to where you used to be and, you know, all that kind of reflection stuff. That's massively important, isn't it? Tell me about strength and conditioning. Is that Do you do a lot of that? Is it something you've always done? What, what sort of role does it play in your training? Yeah, I do a lot of strength and conditioning and I, I genuinely think this is an area where your recreational club runner really misses. I think a recreational club runner would sooner go for a run than do some strength and conditioning. And some of the athletes that I work with, I've actually said to them, I'd rather you run four to five days a week with six and seven being strength days than running seven days a week and doing no strength work. Because often with recreational club runners who work, have busy job, busy family life, you can run consistently for a period of time, but then you break down. And it's because there's a lack of stretching, mobility, flexibility, a lack of general strength and conditioning. And for me, I think strength and conditioning is a massive part of my program and a massive part of my success. I think when people see me running, they say, oh, you look so easy, you look good, you don't look like you're trying. 
Well, believe me, <laughs> I'm working really hard, but I've spent a lot of time in the gym making myself strong and robust so that when I'm running, you don't, you see a nice, good technique, but I've spent years doing drills and it, strength and conditioning is not just gym work. It's running drills, it's form drills, it's technique, it's strides. And I'm in the gym three times a week lifting weights and doing all of those things make me strong. They make me fast and they also help prevent injuries and they also help you become a better runner because the more strong you are and the more refined your technique is, you have a, you improve your running economy. And as we know, a higher running economy is one of the physiological determinants to endurance performance. So having a better economy makes you a better athlete. And I do believe over the years, working on my strength and condition of my running form has really helped my economy improve as well. So I think a lot of athletes don't respect it enough. They think, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. It's a waste of time. But actually some targeted strength and conditioning doesn't need to take long. For your, for your individual strengths and your individual weaknesses, you can really make some big improvements to your running form and technique, which will make you a better runner. You want to waste less energy, don't you, ultimately? And the more economical exactly. your movement, which is what you're saying mm. here, Laura, is, is, you know, you don't show the chinks in your armour, as it were. So when you're running and people saying, wow, you fa- that looks effortless. Well, I'm sure it doesn't on the inside. and I'm sure you're working really no, hard. Absolutely not. But, but you're able to almost physically hold it together by mechanically hold it together yeah, because you've got that, exactly res- that resilience haven't you in, in the yeah. body and that's, that's a massive takeaway you know you don't need to spend hours doing it but spend some time so i guess really yeah. it, what do you reckon to this then laura it's probably worth encouraging people listening to this to look at how much time they can devote to training each week yes not running training yeah and then devote that Absolutely. various portions of time to strength and conditioning yeah. running you know the holistic stuff as well be a general runner if, if a few times a week they can do some mobility and flexibility work in an evening and if a couple of times a week they can do some form of strength and conditioning that doesn't mean you have to go to the gym there's a lot of stuff you can do at home and there's a lot of great people out there who can advise on specifics for each individual and it's important like you do get expert advice if that's through your physio or specialists in the area you can get some really great individualized advice so how much time do you spend training each week? So let's say running and the strength and conditioning as an average. Do you know how much you actually, how much time you spend duration-wise? Probably about 20 hours potentially, I would think. Running, okay. strength work, uh, or maybe more if you're adding on top of that, all the stretching, all the physio, you know, you, those kind of things. But um, yeah, probably at least 20 to 25 hours a week, which doesn't actually sound crazy amounts, but... When, you, when you're running at a high intensity, running 80, 85 miles a week with the workout and the strength work in there, it, also, it soon adds up to quite a high intense amount of work. And have you always done the strength and conditioning or is this something that's played a role late in, later in your career? I've definitely improved over the years. When I first moved to Leeds in 2010, I was introduced to strength and conditioning. And then I've done a lot more structured strength and conditioning probably for the last five years. But I would definitely say it's been significantly noticeable in my performances, I would say, since about 2017. I've really noticed a change in my technique. And year on year, I've got stronger and faster. So and they... I think that's a, that is a result of a lot of the work in the gym. So there you go. Listening to this, you need to incorporate some strength and conditioning into your training. You're Pretty hearing much, this yes. from a 1435 5K runner, second mm. on the all-time yes. UK list behind Paula Radcliffe. <laughs> so I think you need to take that as golden, that you need to introduce that into your training. Yeah. Okay, here's a killer question for you then, Laura. Let's see if you've been asked this before. Which is harder, 
1500 meters or the 5k Oh, I think that's a super easy question. I think it's, it's, it, it's obvious it's the 5,000 metres. There's, there's absolutely no harder event than the 5,000 metres because it, it, it's on that red line of speed and strength combined because the pace you have to run at for the 5,000 metres, it's so close to really fast, but it's not quite fast enough that you're getting lactic, but it's fast enough that it really hurts and the last two laps are severe agony, but you just have to keep going. And the 1500 meters, I just, I, I love it. it. For me, it's fun, it's fast, it's exciting. It's not hard, like in the same way. It doesn't hurt the way a 5000 meter does, but there's something about the pain of a 5000 meters I love. But if I had to pick my favorite event, and it, it's such a shame it's not a championship distance, I would be a 3000 meter runner. Oh wow! Is this because kind of just that sweet spot for you? Yeah, I think it's the it's the combination of the speed and the strength. But yeah, five thousand meters hands down the hardest event ever. Wow, it's funny, isn't it? Because I mean, I get from doing you know my own five k's here and there. It's flipping tough. I get to four k. I'm thinking oh, I've had enough now. This is hard work. <laughs> but do you think there's almost a sense of people playing down the? the difficulty of a 5k and i guess why i ask that laura is really because it's quite an easy distance for most people to cover you know once you've done couch to 5k you're up to 5k you can go and run 5k no problem obviously racing it and chasing a time is very different it's the park run so people do it virtually every weekend when we can when we're out of lockdown but as you've said if you want to smash a 5k that is brutal because there's no room yeah. for... for you, You're redlining the whole way virtually, as you say. It's exactly. just brutal. Do you think there is that kind of... For people really wanting to push themselves, do you think they need that awareness of, OK, this is going to take some hard work to get my dream time? Yes. I think it's a, it's a very relatable distance because it's the park run. So because of the park run, everyone knows roughly what 5K is. A lot of people can run a 5K and a lot of people have done the park run. But when they hear how fast you can run, they're confused. They don't understand how you do that. So a lot of people who I've started coaching or who come to Josh and PGC14 coaching have a good 5K time, but they don't quite realize how to take it to the next step. And it's introducing those interval workouts. It's, it's learning to push yourself. It's learning mentally how to hurt yourself because to run a fast 5K and jog a 5K is very different. To run a fast one, you have to hurt. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's all relative. So some of the athletes I work with, I have to say to them, this is an interval workout. You need to push yourself and feel the pain. And it's getting people used to what that feels like. So when you go and race, you've you've had that feeling before. So it's getting people used to understanding the difference between a run and a race. And I think that's the biggest challenge and why people can't quite understand how hard 14.35 is to run as opposed to a 20-minute park run. Char, I really get that because I I come from a personal training background, right? And I, I'll explain why I mention this to you. So when I used to work with clients, especially if they were quite new to stuff, you know, f- cardiovascular work, strength work and, and things, after several weeks under the belt, maybe even slightly longer, they'd be thinking and they'd say to me, oh, I, I should be finding this easier. And I said, no, you shouldn't be finding it easier. You should be finding it easier to push yourself. Look at the weight you're lifting. It's greater. The feeling may be the same, but actually your ability to tolerate that feeling 
increases, it improves, yes, it develops, yes. which is what you're saying, isn't it? You know, you, you put yourself in a situation where you're going to hurt yourself safely, of course, on, on in training, then you, you, it's not such a shock when it happens in the race, is it? Because you've been there before. Yeah, and that's where people who run the 5K week in, week out, they'll run the same time week in, week out because all they're doing is running. And to take it to that next level, to get past that current ceiling that you feel like you're at and you're confused as to why you're not running quicker, you have to include interval work. You get to that point where you run as quick as you can, but if you don't add interval work or vary your training, it's very hard to take that next step. And that's where coaching comes to play and why coaching is so important to help people realise what they can achieve with some more specific individualised coaching. We've touched on coaching quite a lot in this chat, obviously with your work with, with Steve over the years and you've coached before then. And sometimes the role of a coach is, as you will know, it's seeing what, what is looking at things slightly differently. It's seeing what the athlete perhaps can't see because they're so much in the micro detail and the day to day and that yep. session and that performance and that oh pressure. Whereas actually you can just look at it from a broader angle, can't you? And say, well, well, look at this, look at how far you have come. Maybe we need to tweak this because it sort of makes yes. sense, doesn't it? You know, somebody getting into running and all, all of it, you know, they say, oh, I'm not bothered about pace. And then sure enough, as they build their ability, they're bothered about times and stuff. And then they want to run, let's say, a quicker 5K. So they just go out and keep running 5Ks and try and run it quicker. But at some point you plateau and then you've got to chop up exactly. your training, those different ingredients, haven't you? Have you, have you got any kind of... How do you deal with that un that uncomfortable place that you find yourself in, whether that's training or racing? Do you have certain ways of managing that, or do you just think, "Come on, I'm ready for it"? Or do you have mantras? How do you how do you deal with things? You almost have to embrace it. It's almost part of racing. It, you know, it's going to hurt if you want to push yourself and run a PB. Like as the saying is, nothing's achieved in the comfort zone, which is a cliched line, but it's so true. If you want to achieve something, achieve a PB. It's like anything in life, not just sport. You have to push yourself. You have to challenge yourself. And if you want to achieve that, you know that you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but the reward is going to be greater. And it's you build up that over time in training. You do a workout one week. And then the next week, you might do a little bit more. The next week, you might run a slightly longer effort, but shorter recovery. And over time, you slowly build up to that point of racing. So on race day, it's not so overwhelming. You've experienced that kind of uncomfortableness. You've pushed yourself in training. You've experienced that hurt. So come race day, it isn't alien. It isn't foreign to you. You are prepared for it. And I think that is the key. You have to build up over time. Whilst also respecting, it's not going to happen in a week. It's going to take a few months and, you know, it's taken me however many years to run 1435. You know, you have to build up over time. It doesn't just happen. And we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty the same. We're not patient. And I tell my athletes exactly the same as my coach tells me, but sometimes you need to hear it from someone else who, like you just said before, has that wider perspective, looks at things from the outside and says, well, actually, you've done X, Y, and Z, so you're ready to race. And you sometimes need that sort of feedback from someone else that gives you that confidence that you're ready. Going into a race, do you think it's important to be in the right frame of mind before you even start? Do you know what I mean? Oh, like absolutely. If, 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 you, if you're in a, a tough day at work and you, you come back and you, you're, oh, you're all rattled, you're not quite, you know, your tolerance levels is kind of like rock bottom. And then you're feeling really uncomfortable. You're in that really uncomfortable place. You're not going to be able to deal with that very well, surely. 
No, and if you go into a race, you go into a workout defeated, you're almost defeated before you start. You need to go in with an open mind. And, you know, if you've had a bad day and you're tired and you've had stresses in work, well, just think, right, I'm going to park that for an hour. I'm going to go out the door. I'm going to enjoy this run. I'm going to just see how it goes. I'm not going to think about the end. I'm going to think, right, what can I control? And that is I can do my warm up. I can do the first effort. I can then do the second. And you can work through that session and not think about the end and not think, well, in an hour I'll be finished. Or think, well, I've just got to get this done. Well, actually, just think about what you can control. Try and enjoy it. And a workout done averagely is better than no workout. And so half the time, you'll be surprised when you get going, because you've got those stresses and anxieties and worries from your day-to-day life, you probably end up going to feel better for having done the workout because you've achieved something. But then also that sense of pride for getting out when you've not felt good and doing it. And I always say, no matter what, you're better off doing it and trying than not, because for one, you'll feel better and or you'll know that actually it was a bit too much today, but I've done something. And I think that's exactly it. We all have bad days. We all have things that happen, but you're best off just trying, giving yourself the chance. And likelihood is nine times out of 10, you're going to walk in that door afterwards feeling better. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that where we've had those sessions thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. I've got to drag myself out the door. But you do. And then sure enough, you actually feel a lot better than you thought you would. That does yeah. happen. Do you know, I always think, Laura, in those situations, I try and advise my runners this as well, but I apply this myself, that if I'm feeling a bit kind of het up and a bit, ah, before, you know, oh, I'm not fancying this session, I make sure that the warm-up I do is slower and longer. I almost give myself more time to punctuate that feeling of feeling a bit het up to getting into the flow of the session. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to give yourself the time. And and I think there's certain times in the week or certain times in training, you know that you might struggle. And, and that's where training partners come in. That's where having a set time and a place to meet people, whether that's one-to-one or whether that's group training or whether that's your club, because it's easy then. You just have to turn up. And if you're not feeling it, you can just sit in and follow. But if you are feeling good, you can be the one at the front helping your other training partners who might be having a bad day. And that's where like training with people is really great because it's a social thing. It might be people outside of your usual network and it's a reason to leave the house. If you've got to meet someone, you'll have to be there on time because you don't want to let them down. And it's the same for me, even though running's my job, I still have bad days. I still have days where it's a challenge. But if I know I'm meeting one of my training partners, we'll get each other through it. And when I'm having a bad day, my training partners help me. And when they're having a bad day, I help them. And, you know, and that's the beauty about running. You can always help each other. Laura, I could talk to you all day about running. I'll be perfectly honest with you. What, where does, how does the future lie for you? What does it look like? What's your goals and targets now from here? Well, for this summer, obviously, fingers crossed, all being well, the Tokyo Olympics. I just wanted to um, hear you say yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to target the Olympic Games and you know, hopefully that goes ahead after a really challenge in 2021. Yeah. In 2020 with COVID, hopefully, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel and something for people to look forward to because nothing unites the world like Olympic Games. How do you feel about things with the current situation in terms of lack of support and family and friends? I mean, that must change things. You're experienced of, uh, with Olympic Games. How, what impact is that going to have, do you think? I think it's going to be an Olympics very, very different. I'm very fortunate that I experienced the London Olympic Games. That, that, that is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, one of the best experiences of my life. And I feel incredibly lucky that I experienced that. Rio was very different to London, and I'm fully aware that Tokyo is going to be very different to Rio. But, you know, after the challenges of the past year, I think having the Olympic Games is a beacon of hope. 
not just for the athletes, but fans of sport around the world. It unites people. Everyone loves to support Team GB and watch the Olympics. So it's going to be different. There might not be fans. It might be behind closed doors. But I think every athlete is just relishing the chance to compete. And I think that's what I'm focused on is just a chance to compete again on the global stage. And, you know, after the challenges, you can't turn that down. We've got to do everything we can to be ready for the games when they go ahead. And, you know, we all need that positivity, don't we? Whether we're taking part, whether we're going to be watching it from the sofa. And as you said earlier in this chat, it's about controlling the things you can control. Focus on that. So, yeah, I wish you all the luck in the world. I can't wait to see how it goes for you. Very keen to follow you on Instagram because I know you post lots of stuff on there. We will link your Instagram profile in the show notes page, which is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Do you know we have one more question for you, Laura Waitman? Well, I do now, since I listened to the podcast with um, Josh. Yes, your colleague and friend. We had Josh on, who's great, super passionate guy. He was ready for this question. I, I, I'm intrigued to know what your answer is to this. Are you ready? No, but go ahead. Let's go anyway. <laughs> Let's go anyway. Laura, this is your weekly dose of running motivation. <laughs> what does the word motivation mean to you? I think for me, motivation is the goals that I have and what I want to achieve. And I think it's very personal. It's different for every single person, but that might be a weekly motivation. That might be a long-term target. So my long-term target is the Olympic Games. But within that, I have so much else breaking down to get to that point that motivates me. And I think ultimately I'm motivated by being the best that I can be. How good can I be? What is my limit? What is my physical capability? And for me, I'm motivated to explore that because I don't really feel like I've reached that potential yet. So for me, I'm just ultimately motivated about what I can achieve. And I think every runner out there should be motivated by what can I achieve? What is my physical capabilities and limits? And I don't think anyone has a limit. I think, to be honest, everybody's going to be motivated just listening to you. They're all going to be putting the trainers on and getting out there. I know I'm going to be doing that now. I so, hope so. Thank hope you. So. Laura, it's been awesome chatting to you. Really appreciate it. Have a great rest of the day. Catch up soon. Thank you very much. Running with Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation out every Wednesday. Never miss an episode by subscribing now. Autumn marathons may be less than five months away and it is fine to set ambitious goals in your running, but sometimes you need to put your money where your mouth is. Or in this case, Patreon Pete's pocket. Oh. You're on. Do you know, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I've, I just... I, uh, today's one of those days where I, I, I feel... I just... I feel uncomfortable asking for money today, mate. I've not got a new angle to go with this. You know, I mean, quite often I go, I'm not asking for money, I'm giving you a chance to donate. Uh, and, and, and I do believe that, I do believe that. Uh, and it would be nice to have free money, but I'm just not, I just I just don't want to beg today. I'm just not in the beggy mood, do you know what I mean? So I don't know where to go with this. Can't you do it? Can't you do it? Seriously. <sighs> Right, okay, if you if you want to give us some... Please give, just give us some money, because, you know, we've not got much, and uh, we do this show, and you're you're having a listen. And uh, it'd be lovely, it'd be lovely if you wanted to pay for it. It's free forever, for everyone. I don't want to do this thing where, you know, you only get it if you pay for it. I think that's unfair, because I appreciate some people have more than others, and some people can afford, and some people can't. And if you can't, that's cool, because you're being paid for by the people who can. And if you can afford... Um, then please go to um, runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Just click on the Patreon. Or if you can't be asked with that, just give us a call on the burner. <laughs> Come on, enough of this stupidity. Let's crack on with another hashtag AskJake. Chris wants to know how to take pressure off in races. Chris, I'm going to give you three 
things to think about here. Number one, start to refer to the race as an event, not a race. Because I think just that slight shift in language and terminology can flick a switch in your mind and it can make you view it as an event, something to take part in, rather than a race where it's at all costs, you're against other people, you're against the clock. So start to call it an event and not a race. Number two, what you could do is actually use part of the race to warm up. So if you're somebody that does something like a 10k or a half marathon and maybe you do 10 to 20 minutes of light jogging before to warm up ready for the race, well, you could actually not do that warm up and do the warm up in the actual race itself. Because then straight away, you know that you are using the first mile or two to warm up in, which means that actually it's going to be very hard for you to target a time, which in itself can take some pressure off. And then once you're warm, you can then effectively create your own race within the race. So if it's a half marathon and you're spending a couple of miles warming up, you might then aim to run a strong 10 or 11 miles, thus taking off some pressure. And the third thing is to give the race some perspective. Often we can feel like it's do or die. This is the most important thing in life, and it isn't. Yes, of course, you may want to target times. You may want to be proud of what you achieve. You might be targeting targeting a personal best or position, but actually put it in perspective. Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? And remember that every race that we ever take part in is a fantastic training session and an opportunity to learn, gain some experience that you can use for future races. I hope that helps. Good luck in your event. If you've got a question, then it's hashtag AskJake, or of course you can drop us an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com. Well, that brings us to the end of another fabulous episode <laughs> of the Running With Jake podcast your weekly dose of running motivation <laughs> keeping you company throughout your day throughout your week i hope whatever you're up to for the rest of the week you have a lovely time stay safe bank some miles and of course myself and my wonderful producer peter will be back next week for another episode <laughs> until then goodbye oh and one more thing <laughs> Life is what happens the moment you turn off your mobile. Although obviously you don't turn it off now. I mean, finish the episode. Although to be fair, we're pretty much done here. 